Hello, and this is Grain to Plate, a podcast that focuses on everything food from the first grain to the final plate. Episode 10, The Hustle 2.0. Now this is the long form story that I introduced in episode one, The Hustle, which was about me at the age of eight and my friend, Charles. Now I wanted to tell the long form story because it focuses on food insecurity and the children that suffer. Food insecurity is yes, a topic that I keep touching upon. And as I have decided that I need to move away from it for just a little bit, and with this being the 10th episode, what better way to transition but to tell the full story of the summer of 1989. Now 1989 was a very important year, especially for you hip hop fans. The year before, N.W.A. had released Straight Outta Compton, the album that would set the stage for gangster rap and rap as we know it today. Now I was growing up in Long Beach, California, just a stone throw and or gunshot away from Compton. And that album was pivotal for all of us, not just for Compton and Long Beach, but for the world. Through music and poetry, what was happening on the streets was being presented raw and uncut. Also, that album would launch also the local rap scene for us. A rap movement, if you will, that would put our city on the map. But behind the beats and lyrics and in the shadows, there were still kids on the street hustling to get by. So I want to tell the full story of what happened in the summer of 1989. I met Charles at Roosevelt Elementary. Both of us scrappy, black. Our home situations were different, but not by that much. My mother, hard-working nurse in a convalescent home. My father was in and out and making a dollar any way he could get it. So at the time, while we did share a cramped studio apartment with a bed that folded up into the wall, we had enough to eat at that time. However, I liked being out on the streets. I liked trying to hustle like my dad and all of his friends. Now, I didn't really have much of a hustle. I was just going wherever the crowds were. Got into a few activities, not too proud of. A couple of juvenile run-ins with the police. But I was hustling, and it was fun. Now me and Charles, we were, we were schoolyard playmates. Ran with a small crew, or what you young kids call today a squad. We had a close, tight-knit group of friends. But when the school year ended, and we went on summer break, that's when I learned the next level of the hustle. During the day, I would walk over to Charles' house, about half a mile from where I lived. He shared a cramped, what you would call a shack, with his mother, two aunts, three siblings, and a stepfather. One day when my dad was on his rounds, he saw me at the house and he looked at it. Being a gentleman of the streets, he knew more than I did at the time. And one day he pulled me close and had me promise him I would never step foot in his house. And I didn't. I always stayed outside, right on the porch. One morning on the porch, both of us a little hungry, Charles told me he knew how to get some donuts. So I followed. Now at the time, I suffered from terrible bronchitis. 
and had the occasional cough. And as we got closer to the donut shop, Charles would just tell me, keep coughing, keep coughing. And once we got to the donut shop, we stood outside, he would tap me, say, keep coughing, keep coughing. And I would. And as I was coughing, he would approach people. And I never knew what he was saying. But he would come back a couple quarters here and there. We'd get our morning breakfast. Maybe have a few quarters left over. Play a video game or two. Memory serves me right. I think it was Rampage. Nothing better for a kid on a summer morning than climbing, tearing down skyscraper or two. Now I didn't realize the level of the hustle, but I liked it, it was fun. A little coughing, a little change, a couple maple bars, a couple games of Rampage, it was cool. Now sometimes Charles would break away and say he had to leave. So I'd go home, read tales of the fourth grade nothing for the upteenth time, but yet I had to wonder what he was doing after I left. So one time, when he tried to break away from the donut shop gig, I asked him if I can go with him. He hesitated for a moment, but then he let me go. He took me to the Vons, about three blocks down the street. And we stood outside, and he told me to stay back. And I saw him go up, say some words to people, point to the parking lot. Some people would say yes, and he'd go with them, come back with some change. Most people said no. And as I watched him, just felt like he wasn't that polite. He wasn't that Southern polite. The type of manners that I had picked up from my grandmother and my uncles from Shreveport, Louisiana. So before he approached someone, I walked up with him. And with a sir and a ma'am and a couple blinks from my unusually long eyelashes, we got a lot more yeses. And soon, dimes became quarters, quarters became dollars. Now for two hustling eight-year-olds, making $10 a day, with account for inflation, it's a pretty good day. And I felt proud. We would split the money 50-50. We'd always break for lunch, go over to 7-Eleven, get some hot dogs, with the works. Nacho cheese, everything. We splurged. Sometimes with my extra cut, get a few toys here and there. But as time went on and our hustle progressed, I started to notice that Charles' spending habits were a little different than mine. Sometimes after the day, he would sneak into the bonds, some lunch meat, some cocktail wieners. Kids love cocktail wieners. Some bread. And when I would ask him, he would just say, this is what I like. This is what my siblings like. So I paid him no mind. And we just kept going. Every now and again, one of the delivery drivers would call him over. Give him some food. Pat him on the head, look at me, give me the grown man head nod, and still pay to no mind. Because at eight years old, what did I really know? I knew about the streets, I knew what was going on, 
I didn't fully know the complete struggle. Then one day, after a bunch of no's, side-eye looks, we decided to call it early. Head back to his place. And as we were approaching the house, saw a mailman truck parked outside. Didn't think anything of it. Until I saw a mailman burst from the door, run into his truck. Charles's mother quickly and stepped behind him, screaming at the top of her lungs, I put my lips on your and you ain't give me no money? And then the world stopped. Felt myself being dragged back through time to a time when one summer night, my dad was on his rounds. He stopped by the house to walk me home, as he did from time to time. Sometimes he would even take Charles with us. Back to our little cramped apartment and give him some of the little bit of food we had. Then he'd walk him home by himself, leave me at home. Then I was brought back to the time that I saw one of his aunts. Now, I need to describe this aunt who really wasn't a aunt of his. Her name was Chardonnay, or Aunt Chardonnay as we call her. Now Chardonnay was the nicest yet ugliest woman I'd ever seen in my life. Even then, I knew that Chardonnay was wearing a wig. Always dressed in short skirts and tops, low cut, that showed no cleavage, but whispers of chest hair. Some nights when my dad would come pick me up, we would see Chardonnay walking towards us, bloody and beaten. My dad would pull me close to him, give Chardonnay a nod, and turn around and make sure that she was able to stumble back to the shack. I used to ask my dad, what happened to Aunt Chardonnay? And he would tell me that sometimes when you go to sell someone something, try not to surprise them. I was brought back to seeing Charles's mother get in various cars. Brought back to all the times I saw her walking up and down the street various times of the day. Brought back during the arguments between Charles's mother and his stepfather about money, which I knew they had little of, yet he was always asking her. When I snapped back into reality, I looked at Charles and all I said was, I'll see you tomorrow. And I went looking for my dad. Found him holding court at his usual liquor store. Now my dad was a well-seasoned storyteller, especially anyone who's willing to take the time provide him with 40 ounces of harsh malt liquor and a Newport cigarette here and there. When I walked up as he was regaling his fellow hustlers with past accomplishments, he looked down at me, dropped his cigarette, didn't say anything, but put his hand on my shoulder, started leading me back to the apartment. The first thing he asked me is if Charles was okay. I said, yeah. He said, did something happen? I said, yeah. He took a deep breath and told me one day, when I get older, he would explain to me exactly what happened. But he told me 
it was more important now than ever to go back and keep hustling with Charles. And I did. We kept hustling through the summer of 1989. That following school year, me and Charles went back to class after our break. And two weeks in, Charles was gone. I was taken to the principal's office by the teacher, which was customary at my school. When a teacher was notified that a classmate would no longer be in her class, either it be due to the fact that the child was removed from the home and or lost his life. They always pulled the kid that they knew was closest to the child that was no longer there. Now being that it was quite routine at that time in my neighborhood and at that school for a child to no longer return, he was very blunt and just told me that Charles was gone, he was removed from his home, and I would never see him again. At that point, my dad just recently skipped out on us once again, so I never really understood or knew what happened. Stopped hustling for the most part, only doing what I had to do just to stay social and keep protection. I would see my father a few years later, and when we were sitting down on a stoop, the first thing I asked him was what happened to Charles, and he told me that yes, Charles's mother was a sex worker with an addiction that was so fierce feeding her children was on the low end of her priorities. Aunt Chardonnay was a transgender sex worker who was regularly beaten by men with buyer's remorse. And Charles disappeared into the system. Now we're not far removed from that summer of 1989. Kids are still out there selling themselves, and even recently, a heartbreaking story of a kid trying to sell a teddy bear in front of a drugstore to get an honest meal. So I close urging you to remember that just like me and Charles, there are still kids out there hustling for that next meal. Thank you for listening to The Hustle 2.0, Episode 10. I have more stories to tell and more issues to report and share from the perspective of a kid who used to hustle for food. Again, thank you for listening. I can be reached at grain2plate, one word, at gmail.com. Also can be found on Twitter, at grain2plate. The website is still in development, but if you have any questions or want to share your story with me about the hustle for the basic necessity, please do, as I would love to hear it. This episode was produced by myself, Jonathan Tatum. R.I.P. Charlie Hustle.